We've got to retain a monarch, a monarchy. I want my grandchildren's grandchildren to live in a monarchy. I don't ever want to live in a republic. I don't visit republics. I only visit monarchies. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Clifford Stummy. If you're like me, you struggle with crippling FOMO. You want to try everything but get too bored to master anything. People like my wife April, they think we're manic. But rather than change, I institutionalized my behavior. This podcast is our excuse to investigate hobbies and lifestyles that inspire obsession. And today we're going to hunt down the answer to a question that eludes many. Why are people obsessed with the British royal family? Let's talk about the royal family. Okay. Are you a fan of the royal family? I feel neutrally toward the royal family. I don't know. They seem chill. What do you know about the royal family? Uh, I know that there's the queen and she's in charge. She's married to a guy. His name is Prince Philip, I think. That's April and I combining our knowledge on the royal family. Turns out, April's knowledge was at about a 2 out of 10, and mine was a 0. But to a 0, even a 2 is impressive. Are you obsessed with the royal family? Because based on everything you've said so far, compared to how much I care about them, you sound kind of obsessed. I'm not going to lie. I just like to have a baseline knowledge of anything and everything. Ask me a question about anything else. I'll have a baseline knowledge of that, too. Um... What was the first boat? A canoe made out of a hollowed out tree. <gasps> how did you know that? And how can we confirm this to be true? <laughs> this is really easy to BS people who don't know anything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. While her words stung, April's harsh statement underscored a very important fact. I truly did know nothing about the British royal family. I knew they existed, and I thought maybe the queen's name was Elizabeth, and she had corgis at one point. But that was it. And that's because I'm a skeptical American who doesn't get celebrity gossip, and that's all the British royal family seemed to me. But of course, just recently, something really big happened. It was billed as a tell-all from a couple now outside the confines of the British monarchy. I mean, that's the sad irony of the last four years, is I've advocated for so long for women to use their voice. And then I was silent. Were you silent or were you silenced? The latter. After giving up their royal status in 2020, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle did an interview with Oprah to explain why they left. Not only was I not being protected, but that they were willing to lie to protect other members of the family, but they weren't willing to tell the truth to protect me and my husband. The world blew up. Some hated them for dishing on the family, and some applauded their courage. Personally, I hadn't watched the interview, but as my Twitter feed quickly clouded over with royal news and unrequested hot takes, it became clear to me that a lot of people are fascinated by the royal family, and surprisingly to me, a lot of those people are not British. I tried to ignore it all and keep scrolling, but when the tweets kept coming day after day and more videos and articles and think pieces and conversations popped up, I realized this was more than just passive interest in gossip. It was obsession.
So my mission at this point and our goal in this episode of Obsessed became to find the why. Why are people the world over obsessed with the British royal family? Little did I know that one of the answers I'd find, despite the celebrity gossip aspect, would turn out to be surprisingly healthy. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of the story. Since I had a zero out of 10 knowledge of the royal family, this investigation began with some very important Googling. Turns out the queen is Elizabeth II, so I was right about that, and she's married to Prince Philip. As of 2021, she has been the queen for almost 70 years. She and Philip have four kids, but Prince Charles is the oldest, so he'll be the next king. He's the one who married Princess Diana, who was known as the People's Princess in the 90s because she was apparently very popular and very nice. Before the two divorced and before Diana died in a car crash, they had two children, William and Harry. William is the oldest and thus will become king after Charles, and Harry is the one who married Meghan Markle. So I was learning all of this, but I was thinking to myself, people are not obsessed with the royal family because of genealogies. This isn't what gets the people going. I needed to find the people who were actually obsessed. So I went to YouTube and searched royal family obsession. And I got a bunch of videos of the royal family doing normal things in public, like playing with their kids, greeting strangers, and goofing around. This wasn't what I was looking for, so I tweaked my search and looked for royal family fans. Eureka! I found videos of people sobbing when they met the royals, a 97-year-old woman waiting in the rain for hours to meet the prince, armies of fangirls, and best of all, I found a video about a woman who has spent over 100,000 pounds on royal family memorabilia. This woman's name is Jan, and she lives in New South Wales, Australia. Her rooms where she keeps her collections are completely full with teacups, plush corgis, and royal dolls. There are even two life-size replicas of the Queen and Princess Diana. I looked at that and said to myself, by gosh, if anyone's obsessed with the royal family, it's got to be Jan. So I found her collection's Facebook page and sent her a message. She replied right away and told me to call. Hello, Jan speaking. Hi, Jan. This is Clifford Stummy. I messaged you on Facebook. You did. You did. Jan was very friendly. How long have you been collecting uh, royal family memorabilia? Uh, for the last 40 years. Wow. And, and how many items do you have at this point? There's over 10,000. I've stopped counting. Does, That's quite a bit. Does that make you the largest collection in the entire world right now? I think there may be a lady in England that has a little bit more than us. So we're probably, you know, up the top, but I wouldn't like to say we are the biggest. But but very, very close. Very, very close. You know, any good collection comes with a price. How much time do you spend dusting every day? Oh, it's every spare moment. You have to take <laughs> it out, wash it, clean the shelves, put them back, so... Any time there's no grandchildren running around um, and no husband around, I just clean something. After some more pleasant chit-chat, it was time for the big question. The big question that, that I have is why? Well, it sort of started by accident. We had our first daughter back in the 80s when Charles and Diana became engaged and we ended up with a commemorative coin for the engagement. 
And then as time went on, you know, they got married and then they brought out a plate and a cup and a book. And I just picked up those little things to put aside for the baby. And it just kept going. So I just call it an accidental collection. (laughs) You know, obviously people have collections of a lot of different kind of things. People have Star Wars memorabilia or historical artifacts. What is it about the royal family that appeals to you personally? Well, I don't know if it's... Look, I'm an actual collector. So it's more about collecting than, like, being obsessed with the royals. Oh, okay. And once you start to collect something, you know, there's always something to add to that collection. Royal family obsession wasn't Jan's motivator. She was obsessed, but with collecting. In fact, between her and her husband, turns out they have several collections going, including one of 6,000 beer cans. I think that one was more her husband's idea. Jan was a lovely person to talk to. Thank you very much, and if if I'm ever in the area, I'll be sure to stop by. That would be lovely. Contact us any time you like. But because she wasn't obsessed herself, this was a dead end. Which meant, I wasn't any closer to understanding royal family obsession. I didn't realize at first, but Jan had given me a clue forward. Remember she mentioned that woman from England who had a bigger collection than hers? I did some quick searching, and this woman's name is Anita. She too had a monstrous amount of royal family memorabilia. But the trouble with Anita was that her Facebook profile didn't show up in any searches, her Twitter wasn't active, and there was no contact info anywhere, and I had to find her before I could interview her. I searched for over an hour. My first breadcrumb was an article titled, Royal Fanatic Chuffed to Bits, Prince Harry is Marrying Woman with County Durham Connection. And it had a picture of Anita. I still don't know what chuffed to bits means, But Anita looked happy, so I guessed that it was probably a good thing. Though to be fair, in every picture and video that I could find of Anita, she always looked happy. This was a relief because I'd wondered if people who were obsessed with royal families would be stiff and grumpy. But from everything I'd seen, Anita seemed like the kind of person who'd take you on an adventure. She was a grandmother, but with her short curly hair and full face smile, dressed in British flag designs and waving flags and holding royal family teacups, she seemed like the kind of grandmother who'd be okay with getting into a little bit of trouble if it meant getting a better look at the royal family. And this kind of obsession was something I could identify with. Here was a kindred soul, someone who left dignity and what others think at the roadside for the sake of a quest. The Chuff to Bits article led me to County Durham where Anita lives. More searching revealed she'd edited a newspaper called the Weirdale Gazette there before it closed. So I searched for the Gazette thinking it might lead me to something that might lead me to her, but one of the first results was a post by an Anita in a Durham County Facebook group. I had found her. I quickly sent a message and prepared to wait, but she replied just 30 minutes later. Hey, thanks so much for chatting. 
I'm very grateful you take the time. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, there's one thing I'm good at, it's talking. <laughs> I'm counting on it. Anita was as friendly and passionate over Zoom as she seemed in videos, and we quickly got into the specifics of her collection, which, including important newspapers from royal family historical events, has over 12,000 items of royal family memorabilia. That's an aside, really. That happened completely by accident. In really? fact, I don't know. I've just been adding some more things to my list today because I seem to have acquired 50 items over the last week. So I've now got... 12,051 items. You said that it kind of came about by accident. How did, yeah, what, did, what did you mean by that? My mother had her items of memorabilia in the house. I didn't have any money to buy my own things. But in 1977, I was at work and everything I bought related to the Silver Jubilee. And before I knew it, I had a collection of Silver Jubilee items, including the limited edition 18 piece tea set. And then when, when people realized that I was a royalist, I was a monarchist, they would be friends, this was, you know, the, um, and my workmates, when they realized how fanatical I was about it, every birthday, every Christmas, I was, given, I was given gifts, like royal gifts. And then other people found out um, in 1981, I was expecting the first baby, and she was due on Charles and Diana's wedding day. And nowhere was I having a baby on that day. So I told the doctor that. I said, I'm not having this baby mind on the 29th of July. And he said, why? And I said, because it's the royal wedding. I can't miss the royal wedding. And he said, well, the baby might come early. And I said, we needn't bother coming early either because I don't want to have a baby. I want to have, watch this wedding. <laughs> anyway, he, he said to us, you know, you can take your royal things into hospital. Just put them in your case. And if you go early, then you can put your button up and you can put... So I said, that's a good idea. So I filled the case with royal memorabilia. The baby wasn't born on that day. I watched it with my mother. And um, she was born a week later. Uh, and of course, when I opened my case, <laughs> it still had all the royal, <laughs> royal memorabilia in. And there was a, another new mother in this ward who was really fascinated to know why I had all this royal memorabilia. So I told her she turned out to be a journalist. And she said, can I write your story? So she did. Next thing I know, I have the local news on the telly wanting to come out and do the film. So it started from there. And uh, ever since then, lots of other people realised I had this little collection. Then the, the Women's Institutes, the WIs, were asking us to do talks and I was taking my royal memorabilia. Uh, and people were leaving stuff on my doorstep what I see and, and how I feel about it is it doesn't belong to me. These are, I'm the custodian of other people's memories. That's, that's what I am. Every piece has a story. Every piece has a memory. And I'm looking after them for the, for the people who've gone. The reason for Anita's obsession with the royal family is that she is a monarchist, which means she thinks the best kind of government is one with a king or a queen at the top. We've got to retain a monarch, a monarchy. I want my grandchildren's grandchildren to live in a monarchy. I don't ever want to live in a republic. I don't visit republics. I only visit monarchies. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. I have never been to America, but I was offered um, a trip there once, a free trip, to go on American wife swap. 
and they were going to pay us $10,000. And I said, no, I don't go to Republic, sorry. Oh my goodness, wow. Anita prefers monarchies because as she says, England has never had a bad monarch. Now, I, as an American, might disagree, and many others will disagree as you go further back into history to fellows like Henry VIII, but her point seemed to be that if you get a good monarch and they have the power, then they can do some real good real quick. And luckily for the British people, many of their monarchs seem to have taken pretty good care of them. And for Anita, the current Queen Elizabeth II is an example of a good monarch. The prime minister went down with COVID and we were all looking at each other, what we do, what do we do? And then what happens? Bang, the queen comes on the telly. I mean, that was the biggest television audience, I think, for many a year. And the queen sat and she told them that in the end, all would be well. And we all breathed a sigh of relief and thought, oh, that's all right then. You know, we can crack on now. The queen said, we're going to be all right, so we'll be all right. And that was it. She, she at, at her age, you know, 94-year-old at the time, she had to take it upon herself to go out there and tell everyone. And of course, when the queen speaks, she doesn't just speak to the British people. She's queen around the world, you know, of 16 countries around the world and head of the Commonwealth of 53 countries. Everybody was listening to the queen. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And that really makes me feel proud. You know, proud to be a monarchist, proud to be British, proud to be a member of the Commonwealth. For Anita, the queen represents security, grace, and strength. But what makes the queen extra special to Anita was that she's actually met her in person. On her 80th birthday, when we were at Windsor's, I was there at half past five in the morning, and I selected my spot. I asked a policeman, Where, where's the route going to be? And the policeman told us, oh, well, the queen's going to come there, there, and there. I said, oh, I'll, I'll stop there then. Good choice. So I stopped there. And I had this, I bought a newspaper that had on the headlines, Elizabeth the Great. So I threaded it through the barrier and I, I had a happy birthday balloon and I had a card and I had some flowers and I sat there and I waited and I waited. Uh, anyway, the Queen came and you could hear, I mean, the roar and the applause and you just know, you can't see her because she's tiny, but she wears really bright clothes. So at least you can see her through, through the holes in the crowd. Couldn't see her. I could see the top of her heart. But I could see Prince Philip. And Prince Philip's wandering about with a, a long mac on with his hands in his pockets, thoroughly bored. And the Queen, it's like a military, op- well, it is a military operation. The Queen is greeting the crowd and she's getting presents, flowers, gifts. <laughs> and Prince Philip is bored with the whole thing. So he's wandering about. And then I saw him look at my barrier. And he walked over and he, he didn't get too close and he just pointed because he's good at pointing. And he said, what does that say? And I said, oh, the, the newspaper, sir. He said, yes, what does it say on the headline? I said, it says, sir, Elizabeth the Great. And he went, oh, my God. And he walked away and he went over to the Queen and he was tugging at her elbow and she was too busy taking the presents, talking to me. He kept tugging at her and tugging at her. And in the end, she, she must have said, What? what do you want and he turned around and he pointed at me and he must have said that newspaper says elizabeth the great and he was getting her to come over and i couldn't believe it oh hold on a minute she's walking over she missed all the rest of the cloud out and she came she's walking over and getting closer and closer and closer and i thought oh my goodness he's the queen i didn't notice the bbc camera on the floor that was filming us 
And um, so, you know, I wished her happy birthday. I give her the flowers and the card and the balloon. And she asked us where I come from. And I said, County Durham. Oh, County Durham. So, yes, she had a few words. And my phone was ringing in my pocket. And, you know, because I was a journalist, it was automatic that I just got my phone out. And this voice said, Anita, do you know you've just given the Queen some flowers? Yes! <laughs> She's still here. Go away. Put the phone down. Sorry, sorry. You know, and she walked to the next person and the next person. My phone rang again and said, Anita, you're on the telly. <laughs> At this point, I was thoroughly convinced that Anita was indeed obsessed with the royal family, so I asked her. I've often tried to analyze why I'm so passionate about the monarchy. And maybe in a former life, I've been a royalist soldier. I've got no idea. <laughs> but I have been a monarchist for the whole of my life. But when I was a little girl, I didn't know I was a monarchist. When I was a little girl, I was just really interested. It was my mother that sparked that passion. I've thought about it over the years, you know, when, because people have always asked us the, these, quest, these kinds of questions and tried to analyse why I feel so strongly about it. They had been married in 1936, and my mother was very proud of the fact that 1936 was probably the most significant year in the whole history of the monarchy. It was the year of the three kings. So we had George V, who's the Queen's grandfather, of course. He died in the January. He was uh, succeeded by his eldest son, who became Edward VIII. And he gave up the throne in the December of that year in favour of his brother, who became George VI. My mum used to tell us stories about them. And she particularly stuck on the the story that she described as the greatest love story in the, of the century. And of course, that was Edward VIII and Mrs. Simpson. And I was fascinated by that, by the fact that, you know, this man who had everything just gave up his throne for, for a woman. For Anita, love of British royalty comes from two places. She bonded with her mother over stories of the royals when she was a kid, and now that she's older, the royals themselves represent a moral stateliness, and to her, what it means to be British. Hey gang, this is a quick break to say thanks for listening. I also want to tell you about my Patreon, where I take the parts of these interviews I can't fit into the main episode, and I create a whole new, longer shadow episode with more detail and more chances to get to know Anita and the others you're about to hear from. It's a lot of fun, and this episode is going to include the story of Anita meeting the Queen's mother and the story of a royal reporter being one of three people in a room with Prince Charles. My Patreon's only three bucks a month, and that money goes directly to helping me create the show and do cool things, like make long-distance calls to Australia so I can interview Jan. And of course, while you're at it, but only if you're enjoying it, Please be sure to tell a friend about this podcast. Every episode, I try to tell a story you'll like, and it's hard, but I try to improve every time, so it's fun for me, whether anyone's listening or not, but there's still nothing sadder than a misconnection between a story and someone who'd love it. So help me get the word out. Thanks. I now knew why Anita was obsessed with the royals, but I doubted her reasons would be the same as many other people's. Not only are there not a lot of monarchists around, but a lot of royal family obsession happens in America, where we are very much not monarchists. 
And yet, most of the people I saw on Twitter fighting over Harry and Meghan seemed to be Americans, and the royals were constantly appearing on tabloids in my American grocery aisles. Why was royal obsession seeping out of the Commonwealth? I needed to find some Americans and ask them. So I promptly abused my power as a teacher and asked my college class if any of them were obsessed. Three said yes, but ambivalently, as if though a teacher asking about royal family obsession in the middle of a lecture was somehow weird. I gathered them after class and asked them for their level of obsession. None of them claimed to be very obsessed, but one had a friend who was, and she said she'd connect us. Later that evening, I hopped on a call with Emma. Emma was recently graduated from college and was unabashedly energetic and positive. Every time she started to get excited, her eyes would get big, and she needed zero prodding to get excited about the royal family. So are you obsessed with the royal family? Yes, I think I am very fascinated by them. Like I said, I'm a traditionalist at heart, and I think the uh, long... The telltale story of like the ages of the royal family has always fascinated me. It all it, it's literally like a true Real Housewives show. I mean, <laughs> like the the drama that has gone on for years and years and years is just insane. So um, yeah, I love it. I love the primarily the queen. I just I really think that she's an incredible human being. So did you hear what Emma said? The drama. This was the tea I was here for, and Emma was ready to spill it. And then the younger brother kind of living in the review, review mirror of his older brother, who is potentially going to get the throne next, who, who got all the glory of marriage in the first place, who got the glory of first children in the first place, um, you know, falls in love with this Amer you know, American can Canadian woman. And then they moved over here, and it was a whole like, oh my gosh, I mean... It, there's no reversing back to the throne for Harry. I mean, he cut off that lineage. That was his choice and that's what happened. And I just think it's unprecedented in the royal family. You don't see anything like that. You're saying that it's it's interesting because a lot of, you know, it's just very surprising. It's very shocking to see this sort of a thing happen. And that makes sense for why it, you know, is interesting to a lot of people. But, you know, some random poor family ha does something like that every day, right? And nobody is crazy about that. Mm -hmm. So for you personally, why does the royal family, you know, command such interest from you? Um, I guess it's the sense of like rigidity, I guess. It's so black and white for so many things of, of them. I think of myself, you know, I, it's so funny when I was, in college, I used to say that the um, Duke of Belgium was my age and single. And I was like, I'm just going to go to Europe and marry the Duke of Belgium or like uh, some old Duke there. And, and, um, and then I think I wouldn't last one day in royal life <laughs> because you fit the mold and whatever rough edges that you have it is just kind of secret and it's not talked about and it's fixed and then you're pushed out and it's just such a different way of living like how do you live this life where if I don't want to get up at 7 30 a.m to have my coffee and I want to go run for a latte at 11 I could you can't do that in the royal family you have a schedule you you have people to take care of you have initiatives to to start you know it's so rigid and and scheduled and and yeah I think that and 
Go ahead. Do you think that that kind of gets to the heart of your fascination with it? Because you said you asked this question, how could you live this life? Mm -hmm. And do you think like that's the main driving force behind why you and, and other people are so interested in them? That's a great point. Honestly, yes. Yeah, because it's such a different it's you, I can't no one can relate to it. No one has any relation to what that lifestyle looks like. And I think that's where a fascination comes in. In general, you look at scientist Marie Curie, you think, how could she have thought this with no modern medicine? You know, we think of, I don't know, people, civil rights leaders, we think, how could they have had the courage? Because it's a, it's a little unrelatable. You've never experienced anything in your life where you can say, oh, yeah, I felt like Martin Luther King in this situation. And similar to the queen in the royal family, I, we have no idea what it's like to be in power over how many, you know, how many uh, regions of land and with history that goes back forever. It's, it's absolutely unrelatable. Emma and I kept talking about the royals and the Meghan and Harry interview, which I hadn't seen at that point, and a few other things. But I wrapped with this question, courtesy of Emma's friend, my student. Now, Claire kind of ratted you out a little bit. She suggested that maybe at one point there was, when Prince Harry was still single, there was a little bit of a lobby. Oh, my God. <laughs> I definitely would go, I mean, William, I think, was more my type. But okay. listen, at one point, I was desperate enough. I Anybody. You would have I taken Harry. I had researched, like, the second cousins, sisters, brothers, friend from high school who was kind of connected to the royal family and I was like great you're 24 and you're single awesome <laughs> I'll meet you in Belgium <laughs> anything to have tea with the queen and keep my mouth shut and just be there with my pinky up <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic as an American Emma wasn't a monarchist she wasn't British and she hadn't grown up on the stories to her, the drama and the lifestyle were intriguing, and the powerful women in the family were inspiring. But Emma wasn't the only American woman I talked to. I also posted my search to Facebook, and an old college roommate of mine volunteered his wife. Leah is a stay-at-home mom, but talking with her, I wonder if she wouldn't make an even better royal family historian. So Chris says that you're a fan of the royal family. I am. I kind of feel like a dork, but <laughs> <laughs> I totally am like a big fan. I've read lots of books, lots of biographies and stuff. So leading off of that too, what, what got you into the Royal family in the first place? Um, I'm not really sure. I, I guess it just fascinated me. Like, you know, we have like this real life royalty. Obviously you see like Disney princesses and how that all pans out for like Disney and everything. But then to have like a real life, like example of royalty, like I just find that fascinating. And like, just the, I don't know, just their lifestyle is fascinating. Mm -hmm. There are rules. There are certain levels of etiquette that they follow that, you know, all the pomp and, you know, regalness <laughs> of it. It just fascinates me. I, I mean, I guess it's kind of like a cult. I mean, that's why people <laughs> are fascinated by cults, you know, like they live this weird, different lifestyle. Like, like it, it, is there any like, life? like, how do they follow that? So, yeah. Is there any like particular aspect that you're thinking of right now that's like especially fascinating you've learned about recently? Well, I did learn, well, I've learned some of it 
in my reading and everything, but like how they sit at royal dinners and stuff, like when they have like guests of honor, like at an embassy dinner, you know, like heads of state and everything and like how they sit and how they talk to people. Like you have to talk to your left person first and then you come back and talk to the right the person on your right like there's a certain order in how you talk to people and then like you switch back and forth and stuff yeah it's really very particular in like you know eating at this state dinner (laughs) so yeah I think that's strange like just to sit down to a meal you can't just talk to any old body like you have to be (laughs) following the rules (laughs) (laughs) but then it was time to ask the big question like, why do you think Americans are obsessed with the royal family? Like, we have celebrities, you know, in America, so why do we need the royal family? But I think, like, just the, I guess just the level of respect that the royal family, like, commands, like, when they are in the press and everything, and, like, the respect that they're, the certain level of respect that they're given and deference in that, you know, I think that's fascinating to us because as Americans, like we have freedom of speech. We can say whatever we darn well please about somebody, (laughs) even our president, you know, and I think that is what is so different. Like in, you know, England, like (laughs) it's not so much like that. And, you know, you're careful what you say about the Royal family, you know, and, you know, I mean, some people in Britain don't care. They're like, I don't know nothing about them, even being British, you know, they don't know, like, whatever. <laughs> but like, I just, I think that's the thing. Like, you just, I don't know, you, they kind of, they have this title, they live this lifestyle, they live in palaces still. And so we still want to give them that level of respect. Whereas like, we can say whatever we want to about celebrities and, you know, pick on them for their mansions or whatever in Hollywood. Is there any part of you that would like if you had the chance to join the royal family where you'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Or would you be like, no, I'm fine hearing from the outside? No, I mean, it would be hard. I mean, like you have to set I mean, you have to live by these very strict rules and even how like things are perceived in the press. Like you have to sometimes, you know, step back so that, you know, you don't get too much press coverage or whatever. It would be very difficult. Like, I don't think. No, thanks. I mean, I'm. I sometimes feel like I live a pretty boring life as a stay-at-home mom, but I don't think I'd want that either. You know, (laughs) like, I don't think I just want that immense pressure. You know, every time you step out your door, somebody's there to look at you. You know, I don't Mm. think I could handle it. I couldn't do it. It would just be too much. (laughs) And to have to raise your kids in the public spotlight too, that just sounds exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my kids are crazy. So I know what it's like to raise kids. I can't imagine trying to like take my kids on like this royal outing, meeting like heads of state or, you know, important people and my kids (laughs) acting like a bunch of fools, you know? (laughs) After talking with both Leah and Emma, I started to understand that for royal obsessed Americans, the draw of the family was in the drama, yes, and also in the mystery of the unknown. Here were humans just like us living a life that might as well be on another planet. And that was interesting. At this point, I had some early conclusions. Royal family obsessions seemed to stem from mystery, stories, patriotism if you were British, and the drama. But I felt like I was missing something. Like, yes, duh, these things would lead to interest. But the obsession with the royal family I'd seen from my interviews and others was intense, and I didn't feel like I understood that intensity just yet. Despite having talked to four people, I couldn't shake this feeling that I had somehow failed. There was something 
ineffable missing. So I went back to Google and just kind of sullenly started reading through articles about royal family obsession. Of the several articles that I read, one quoted a guy named Sandra Minetti on why the royal family inspires so much passion. A lot of what he said seemed to make sense, and he's a big shot celebrity reporter, so I didn't think this would work, but I reached out to him and asked if he'd be okay with an interview. Thankfully, very quickly, he got back to me and said he'd love to. Sandro used to be a sports journalist in England, but his editor asked him if he'd cover the royal family. Sandro said the whole institution was a waste, but his editor said that that was why he had asked him. So Sandro took the job, but it wasn't long before he changed his mind. After covering Princess Diana back in the 90s for a while, he began to understand the monarchy from the inside and became proud of the legacy that it meant for his country. But when Princess Diana died, he was devastated and quit royal reporting. He moved to America and started covering other celebrities, where he's met almost every super famous person out there. And after more than a decade off, he's actually gotten back into royal reporting again. All of these experiences are the subject of his new book, Confessions of a Hollywood Insider, which I've linked in the show notes. And of course, all this experience on his part meant that if anyone was going to understand royal family obsession and bring success to my quest, it was Sandro. And so there's something a little bit different with the British royal family or with the Kardashians, because there are a lot of them. What do you think it is about like the attractiveness of of an established family like that? It's a dynasty. I think it was President Obama who said that, you know, um, people love the royals more than their own politicians. You know, Um, they represent different things to different people around the world. In Britain, they have tried to represent an ideal. Now, they have fallen far off any pedestal that might have been put put them on due to individual failures. But there's one who hasn't, and that's that's the Queen. And she has been through more drama and seen more things than any public figure in our lifetime. Presidents have come and gone. Popes have come and gone. She has been the one consistent. There are very few people alive who remember uh, a time uh, before uh, that she 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 was queen. Uh, she's been a a constant. What do you think it is about that kind of power that makes people just so fascinated with somebody? People are so fascinated by power and fame, and it's an instinct that goes back thousands of of years. You know, the cavemen uh, were saying, hey, who do you think he is in the next cave? (laughs) Look at him, sort of, he's got 12 rocks, I've only got six. Look at him with his big, big show off. And so uh, I've actually written a book about this. My new book, Confessions of a Hollywood Insider, is all about things that I have learned uh, from more than 20 years in Los Angeles um, and England before, covering the the rich and, and famous. And so there is celebrity is the prism through which people view their own lives. Sometimes it can be almost uh, a, a source for, for hope in some ways. If you look at some hugely famous rich movie star and she can't make her marriage work, for example. You might think, well, 
neither can I. I don't feel too bad because if she can't figure it out with all her money and, and problems, you know, at least I can feel a bit, bit better uh, about it. And so, yes, there are a, a lot of discussions and thoughts that we have about our place in, in the world and through celebrity gossip, through the people we, we, we look up to, or in some cases look down on it as, as, as well, uh, we reflect our own lives. And I think um, when you come to the situation of, of people living in palaces, people sort of living in, 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 in mansions, um, people definitely reflect their own lives. They would ask the question about, well, could I have married into the, the royal family? What Sandro said was simple, but it felt profound. No matter who we are, we all view our own lives in the reflections of others. When I create a podcast, I ask how it's doing compared to similar podcasts. When Charles and Diana have affairs, we ask how they could want more when they have everything we don't have. When a school picks a valedictorian, it picks someone who has a higher GPA than everyone else. When royal brothers feud, it makes us think about our brothers and sisters. Parents ask their kids why they can't behave like the neighbor kids. And when we hear about royals having to eat dinner in a very particular way, we become conscious not only of our freedom to eat however we like, but maybe also of our very bad table manners. So much of how we view ourselves is informed by how we view other people and how our lives are different or similar to theirs. And that's what I thought was at the heart of royal obsession. I really felt like I'd answered my main question, but something Sandro said made it feel like there was just a little bit more. I think a lot of this obsession with the royals is people thinking, oh, well, maybe my life would be happier if I lived in a palace or I had these clothes or, or opportunities. But I think that fairy tale idea that we all grew up with, courtesy of storybooks and Disney, has been fractured, you know, by Diana by Megan, and the reality is now creeping out that it's not such an ideal as you might think, and maybe your own life uh, is a lot happier uh, than that. The royal family inspires obsession because of its perfect image and how we compare ourselves to it. The beautiful princesses and the handsome princes and the gracious queen and the stately ceremonies, but things have changed. I needed to go back to where this whole investigation began the Meghan and Harry interview that had blown up my Twitter feed. Why had this interview in particular stirred up such deep passion in so many people? I sat down, put on my headphones, and I listened to the whole thing. In the interview, Meghan and Harry talk about being abandoned by friends and family, being slandered by the press, and fearing for their safety, and for the safety of their kid. But the most heart-wrenching moments are when Megan says she had suicidal thoughts because she felt so completely alone. And Harry says that he realized he was depressed and repressed by his family institution, which included at least one member who was worried his son would be too dark-skinned. What Megan and Harry showed us all is that when we compare our lives to the royals, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves like normal civilians to Superman, someone who is just inherently better than everyone at everything. The royals are humans. They are normal people. We are normal people. We are all normal people. And I think that's 
the deepest cause of royal obsession. We wonder what it's like to be people who are normal having to live a life that's so abnormal. And when the cracks start to show and the untouchable starts to become so vulnerable, like in this interview, we wonder what the whole thing, the institution, the differences, the comparison, the contrast, what it says about them and what it says about us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Obsessed. I'm Clifford Stummy. Thank you to all of my wonderful interviewees, and please check out Sandro's book, Confessions of a Hollywood Insider, which I've linked. If you want to hear the more in-depth versions of some of the interviews in the show, including more of Sandro's and Anita's and Emma's stories, and hear a behind-the-scenes discussion with me, you can get all Shadow episodes on the Obsessed Patreon for just three bucks a month. Just click on the link in the show notes. If you like the episode, rate it wherever you listen, and you can send me an email with what you think of it. As always, please help me comfort lonely ears everywhere by spreading the word about this podcast, and I'll talk to you next time when we do indeed launch into fantasy adventure with Dungeons and Dragons. I know I teased it last episode, but I needed more time to tell the story right, so it's coming up next. I'll talk to you then. Started watching The Crown. And I don't know if I'm emotionally invested in the royal family, but I was expecting that show to be a lot more boring and a lot less intriguing than it was. Like, man, it was sad and it was intense. And that's just the first episode. And, and I, you know, I don't know what I thought about the queen beforehand. People make jokes online about her just being really, really old. But she seems pretty cool in the show so far. Prince Philip seems like a jerk.